0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Appreciations and Criticisms of the Works of Charles Dickens by G. K. Chesterton. Section 21. Chapter 14. Christmas Stories. The power of Dickens is shown even in the scraps of Dickens, just as the virtue of a saint is said to be shown in fragments of his property or rags from his robe. It is with such fragments that we are chiefly concerned in the Christmas stories. Many of them are fragments in the literal sense. Dickens began them and then allowed someone else to carry them on. They are almost rejected notes. In all the other cases we have been considering the books that he wrote. Here we have rather to consider the books that he might have written. And here we find the final evidence and the unconscious stamp of greatness, as we might find it in some broken bust or some rejected moulding in the studio of Michelangelo. These sketches, or parts of sketches, all belong to that period in his later life, when he had undertaken the duties of an editor, the very heavy duties of a very popular editor. He was not by any means naturally fitted for that position he was the best man in the world for founding papers but many people wish that he could have been buried under the foundations like the first builder in some pagan and prehistoric pile he called the daily news into existence but when once it existed it objected to him strongly it is not easy and perhaps it is not important to state truly the cause of this incapacity It was not in the least what is called the ordinary fault or weakness of the artist. It was not that he was careless. Rather, it was that he was too conscientious. It was not that he had the irresponsibility of genius. Rather, it was that he had the irritating responsibility of genius. He wanted everybody to see things as he saw them. But in spite of all this, he certainly ran two great popular periodicals, Household Words and All the Year Round. With enormous popular success and he certainly so far succeeded in throwing himself into the communism of journalism into the nameless brotherhood of a big paper that many earnest dickensians are still engaged in picking out pieces of dickens from the anonymous pages of household words and all the year round and those parts which have been already beyond question picked out and proved are often fragmentary The genuine writing of Dickens breaks off at a certain point, and the writing of someone else begins. But when the writing of Dickens breaks off, I fancy that we know it. The singular thing is that some of the best work that Dickens ever did, better than the work in his best novels, can be found in these slight and composite scraps of journalism. For instance, the solemn and self-satisfied account of the duty and dignity of a waiter given in the opening chapters of somebody's luggage, is quite as full and fine as anything done anywhere by its author in the same vein of sumptuous satire. It is as good as the account which Mr. Bumble gives of outdoor relief, which properly understood is the parochial safeguard. The great thing is to give the paupers what they don't want, and then they never come again it is as good as mr podsnap's description of the british constitution which was bestowed on him by providence none of these celebrated passages is more obviously dickens at his best than this the admirable description of the true principles of waitering in itself an act of madness on the part of a waiter and how he expired repeating continually two and six is three and four is nine that waiter's explanatory soliloquy might easily have opened an excellent novel as martin chuzzlewit is opened by the clever nonsense about the genealogy of the chuzzlewits or as bleak house is opened by a satiric account of the damp dim life of a law court yet dickens practically abandoned the scheme of somebody's luggage he only wrote two sketches out of those obviously intended he may almost be said to have only written a brilliant introduction to another man's book yet it is exactly in such broken outbreaks that his greatness appears if a man has flung away bad ideas he has shown his sense but if he has flung away good ideas he has shown his genius he has proved that he actually has that over pressure of pure creativeness which we see in nature itself That of a hundred seeds she often brings but one to bear. Dickens had to be Malthusian about his spiritual children. Critics have called Keats and others who died young the great might-have-beens of literary history. Dickens certainly was not merely a great might-have-been. Dickens, to say the least of him, was a great was. Yet this fails fully to express the richness of his talent, for the truth is that, He was a great was, and also a great might have been. He said what he had to say, and yet not all he had to say. Wild pictures, possible stories, tantalizing and attractive trains of thought, perspectives of adventure, crowded so continually upon his mind that at the end there was a vast mass of them left over. Ideas that he literally had not the opportunity to develop. Tales that he literally had not the time to tell. This is shown clearly in his private notes and letters, which are full of schemes singularly striking and suggestive, schemes which he never carried out. It is indicated even more clearly by these Christmas stories, collected out of the chaotic opulence of household words and all the year round. He wrote short stories actually because he had not time to write long stories. He often put into the short story a deep and branching idea, which would have done very well for a long story. Many of his long stories, so to speak, broke off short. This is where he differs from most who are called the might-have-beens of literature. Marlowe and Chatterton failed because of their weakness. Dickens failed because of his force. Examine, for example, this case of the waiter in somebody's luggage. Dickens obviously knew enough about that waiter to have made him a running spring of joy throughout a whole novel, as the Beatle is in Oliver Twist, or the Undertaker in Martin Chuzzlewit. Every touch of him tinkles with truth, from the vague gallantry with which he asks, Wouldst thou know, fair reader, if of the adorable female sex, to the official severity with which he takes the chambermaid down? as many pegs as is desirable for the future comfort of all parties. If Dickens had developed this character at full length in a book, he would have preserved forever in literature a type of great humour and great value, and a type which may only too soon be disappearing from English history. He would have eternalised the English waiter. He still exists in some sound old taverns and decent country inns, "'but there is no one left really capable of singing his praises. "'I know that Mr. Bernard Shaw has done something of the sort "'in the delightfully whimsical account of William, "'in You Never Can Tell, "'but nothing will persuade me "'that Mr. Bernard Shaw can really understand the English waiter. "'He can never have ordered wine from him, for instance. "'And though the English waiter is by the nature of things "'solemn about everything,' He can never reach the true height and ecstasy of his solemnity, except about wine. What the real English waiter would do or say, if Mr. Shaw asked him for a vegetarian meal, I cannot dare to predict. I rather think that, for the first time in his life, he would laugh. A horrible sight. Dickens' waiter is described by one who is not merely witty, truthful, and observant, like Mr. Bernard Shaw but one who really knew the atmosphere of the inns, one who knew and even liked the smell of beef and beer and brandy. Hence there is a richness in Dickens's portrait which does not exist in Mr. Shaw's. Mr. Shaw's waiter is merely a man of tact. Dickens is a man of principle. Mr. Shaw's waiter is an opportunist, just as Mr. Shaw is an opportunist in politics. Dickens' waiter is ready to stand up seriously for the true principles of waitering just as Dickens was ready to stand up for the true principles of liberalism. Mr. Shaw's waiter is agnostic. His motto is, you never can tell. Dickens' waiter is a dogmatist. His motto is, you can tell, I will tell you. And the true old-fashioned English waiter had really this grave and even moral attitude. He was the servant of the customers, as a priest is the servant of the faithful but scarcely in any less dignified sense. Surely it is not merely patriotic partiality that makes one lament the disappearance of this careful and honorable figure crowded out by meaner men at meaner wages, by the German waiter who has learnt five languages in the course of running away from his own, or the Italian waiter who regards those he serves with a darkling contempt, which must certainly be that either of a dynamiter Or an exiled prince the human and hospitable english waiter is vanishing and dickens might perhaps have saved him as he saved christmas i have taken this case of the waiter in dickens and his equally important counterpart in england as an example of the sincere and genial sketches scattered about these short stories but there are many others and one at least demands special mention i mean mrs the london landlady not only did dickens never do anything better in a literary sense but he never performed more perfectly his main moral function that of insisting through laughter and flippancy upon the virtue of christian charity there has been much broad farce against the lodging housekeeper he alone could have written broad farce in her favour it is fashionable to represent the landlady as a tyrant it is too much forgotten That if she is one of the oppressors she is at least as much of one of the oppressed if she is bad-tempered it is often for the same reasons that make all women bad-tempered i suppose the exasperating qualities of the other sex if she is grasping it is often because when a husband makes generosity a vice it is often necessary that a wife should make avarice a virtue all this dickens suggested very soundly and in a few strokes in the more remote character of miss wozenheim but in mrs lirriper he went further and did not fare worse in mrs lirriper he suggested quite truly how huge a mass of real good-humour of grand unconscious patience of unfailing courtesy and constant and difficult benevolence is concealed behind many a lodging-house door and compact in the red-faced person of many a preposterous landlady. Anyone could easily excuse the ill-humour of the poor, but the great masses of the poor have not even any ill-humour to be excused. Their cheeriness is startling enough to be the foundation of a miracle play, and certainly is startling enough to be the foundation of a romance. Yet I do not know of any romance in which it is expressed, except this one. of the landlady as of the waiter it may be said that dickens left in a slight sketch what he might have developed through a long and strong novel for dickens had hold of one great truth the neglect of which has as it were truncated and made meager the works of many brilliant modern novelists modern novelists try to make long novels out of subtle characters but a subtle character soon comes to an end because it works in and in to its own centre, and dies there. But a simple character goes on for ever in a fresh interest and energy, because it works out and out to the infinite universe. Mr. George Moore in France is not by any means so interesting as Mrs. Lirriper in France, for she is trying to find France, and he is only trying to find George Moore. Mrs. Lyriper is the female equivalent of Mr. Pickwick unlike mrs bardell another and lesser landlady she was fully worthy to be mrs pickwick for in both cases the essential truth is the same that original innocence which alone deserves adventures and because it alone can appreciate them we have had mr pickwick in england and we can imagine him in france we have had mrs Liraper in france and we can imagine her in mesopotamia or in heaven the subtle character in the modern novels we cannot really imagine anywhere except in the suburbs or in limbo the end of section 21 chapter 14 christmas stories